We are in Luke chapter 16, and I'm excited to be here. How many of you read ahead? How many of you read this passage? How many of you are scared of this passage? I am terrified of this passage. If you, if you read ahead, it is, a, it is a big, big passage. In fact, to the degree I'm scared of this passage, um, I usually am here at, I don't know, 8, 8.15 on Sunday mornings. I text Jeremy and said, you'll be lucky if I show up at 9.30. And on my way here, I drove every possible road I could drive down into Evans, avoiding church projects, seeing if something would happen, you know, I wouldn't show up or something. And even at this moment, I'm looking out the door to see if anyone else more qualified to speak would enter into this building and, and give this message today. That, that's how much I'm excited to be here today. Aren't you glad that you're here today? If you need a Bible, go ahead and grab it. It's on the left side. Um, they're, they're on the back as well. Or raise your hand and, and we'll get you a Bible. Um, this passage is thick. This passage is heavy. Uh, this passage is confusing. And welcome to Church Project. I say welcome to Church Project because on Sunday, and I know this isn't true, but last Sunday, a week ago, last night, I, I got all excited. I'm like, okay, we're on chapter 16. Let's read this. I open up my Bible with my cup of coffee, and I start to pre-read the, the passage, and I read through it. And I don't know if you've ever done this. For those of you that, that are Christians, and you've grown up in the church, and you know the Word of God, I don't know if you've ever done this, but I started reading, and it's like, it starts as the manager. I'm like, oh, I know this story. I know what's going to happen. And so I start skim reading, and then I'm like, wait, no, this is a different story. And then by the end of the story, I'm like, I I don't think I've ever read this in my entire life. (laughs) Anyone ever done that? I know it's not true, but I definitely have never given a message on this passage. In fact, not many people do give a message on this passage. And I say, welcome to Church Project. One of the things that, that we have started from the very beginning is expositional teaching. That is, we've been walking through the book of Luke. And so when we come to a passage like this, where I, 99% of myself, want to skip, (laughs) our hands are held to this fire. And we preach the entire word of God here. Sometimes it's going to be comfortable. Sometimes it's not going to be comfortable. Sometimes you're going to understand it fully. And sometimes you're going to be okay. You're going to have to be okay going away, going, not 100% sure what this is saying. We um, also, at Church Project, we teach exegesis, and that means when we look at Scripture, we say, what is the Scripture saying, instead of eisegesis, which means, I know what it's saying, and let me kind of back up what, what I think it's saying. And so when we jump into the Scripture, we're asking God, in this place, to lead out, to bring out the truth of this very hard passage. And I just want to say from the very beginning of this message, because Copyright's a big issue, right? Most of what I'm going to say today is from Kent Hughes. Anyone ever heard of Kent Hughes? He's a commentary, so you, commentarian, and so you can go and read it. I've probably read um, 15 commentaries this week. That's a little more than normal. Uh, I've probably read seven or eight versions, translations of the Bible. I have, in fact, have a Bible where there's no numbers. There's no chapters. There's no chapter one, verse 1, verse 2. I haven't picked that up and read it. I, I have done so much work for this message today, and I don't think it's going to show. Are you excited today? 
Man, as a communicator, I'm doing a great job of just wetting your appetite. <laughs> but I'm okay with that. I, I really was. I lost a lot of sleep last night. And I really was praying, God, I feel completely incapable of giving this message today. But I'm here. And I feel like this is our life. I feel like if we ever feel like we're completely capable of something, maybe there's a lot of pride in us. And my biggest prayer for today was, one, that I I wouldn't butcher this passage, and two, that the Holy Spirit would teach us some incredible things, each and every one of us. And so that's what I'm leaning on today, and that's what I'm praying for us today. And so if you would, can we just spend a moment in silence? I think especially for this passage, that would be very good. Um, just ask God to open your heart and ask God to open my mind and, and my words that he would use them, please. God, we give you uh, our moment together and I pray that we see your face. And it's in your name we pray, amen. Hey, I want to, before we jump into this, this is like wetting your appetite and then backing up. I, I want to kind of kind of talk a little bit on the passage we just came out of, the prodigal son. Um, I re-listened to the message, and I've sat with a couple people and, and talked over this message. And, and I feel like um, one of the things that we didn't make as clear as we could have, and myself in the message, was that the thrust of the whole prodigal son was that there was a son. He was lost. He was dead. And he came to a father because of repentance. That's, that's a pretty big deal. This passage was about a son that was lost, a non-Christian, who came to the love of a father and the grace of a father. So I would say that that passage is a great passage to use for that, but it's not a good passage if you're going to sit down with someone and, that has once was a Christian and now they're kind of falling away and then they're coming back. That's probably not the best passage to use. And so I just want to clarify that. And now let's move into this week. <laughs> Man, uh, here we go. I guess I can't delay anymore. The, um, let, me, let me read these first 15 verses because that's what we're going to go through. And then we'll begin to go through and pack them, unpack them. And I got to say, as confusing as it is, um, when you first hear it, it's really not that confusing as we begin to unpack it. So I'm excited for it. Um, verse 1, Jesus told his disciples, there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and asked him, What is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management, because you cannot be manager any longer. The manager said to himself, What shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So he called in each one of his master's debtors. He asked the first, how much do you owe my master? 900 gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it 450. Then he asked the second, how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him, take your bill and make it 800. The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. And I want to say before we read on, that's the end of the parable. Now, let's read on. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself 
so that when it's gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you when with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. The Pharisees, who loved money, heard all of this and were sneering at Jesus. He said to them, You are the ones who justify yourself in the eyes of others, but God knows your hearts. What people value highly is detestable in God's sight. Wow! Here we are. Uh, On this occasion, uh, Jesus begins and he's talking to his followers. And notice that at the very beginning, verse 1. He's talking to who? His disciples. He's not talking to the Pharisees. He's talking to his disciples. And he's talking, he's telling them this this parable, walking them through this parable and the specifics of this lesson. And what should be there and what should be our attitude towards wealth and possessions. That is the thrust of this passage. What should be our attitude and what should be their attitude towards the wealth and possessions that they have? And so with that in mind, with that being the thrust of this entire passage, let's go through and keep that at the forefront of our thoughts. It is a story, and this story unfolds. It's a dishonest household manager who has um, a confrontation with his boss that ends up, he loses his job. He engages in in some serious reflection, like, what should I do? I'm about to lose my job. And he comes up with, I think, an ingenious, a brilliant solution. I mean, it took a lot of brain power to come up with the solution that this dishonest house manager came up with. We must understand that in this time, as Jesus was, was talking and he was giving this message, that for Jewish people, it was illegal in their culture to charge interest for fellow Jews. That's, that's important to know. So as the house manager goes to the people that owe, owe his boss money, what this man does, I believe, you can read a lot of different thoughts on this, is he forgives. But what does he forgive? He forgives the interest that was possibly charged to the debt that was owed. So in essence, the main guy didn't really lose anything because he wasn't supposed to be charging interest in the first place. And in the second part of it, the man, the household manager who forgave this debt, didn't lose anything except he gained favor with the people that he had forgiven that debt. That's the best I got. <laughs> Try to come up with something else. That's the, be- that's the best I got with this passage right here. And, and I, I look at this and, and I go, that's just, that's just brilliant how he did this because the boss cannot go back on him and cannot say, you know, because he was dishonest from the very beginning by charging interest. That's one version. Another version was, this manager had been putting commission into how much that these people owed the boss. 
And so when he went and forgave them that, all he did was forgave the commission and the boss still didn't lose anything. You guys tracking? This is a hard, this is a hard one to track on. Then the boss comes, the owner comes, and he, he, he did not approve of what his ex-employee had done, but he certainly admired his foresight, his astuteness, as some of your versions may say, or his shrewdness. He, he didn't say, I commend you for being dishonest. He said, I commend you for being astute, for being shrewd to thinking through this thing. Okay, that's the parable. And I don't think we read into the parable much more than that. I think we leave it at that. And then I think Jesus comes and in brilliant ways begins to unpack this for us. And it starts in the middle of verse 8. So let's go to 8b. <laughs> By the way, have I, have I said this is one of the top three hardest translated passages this week and next week in the entire Bible? Like literally the words, moving them to English is one of the hardest to translate. That is, that's why I've read 15 commentaries. That's why some of the most brilliant scholars that I've read um, are usually aligned in what they say. And we land in this passage and it kind of goes, Bleh. I mean, I sat with two brilliant men this week who were on complete opposite sides. And so take the, I'm learning and I hope you're learning. I hope this just gives you um, a, a, a hunger to dig in and to want more, to know more of this. And if I'm wrong, Probably, I'm probably wrong. I may be right. Who knows? <laughs> so let, let's go through this. Um, we go to 8b, the middle of 8b, and this is what it says. I, I, I think Jesus was talking to his disciples, and at the end of 8, he ends with this, like, drop the mic, boom. Like, boom. No one saw the first part of 8 coming. Like, you're thinking the owner's going to stand up and going to go just, you know, go ballistic on this guy. But instead, what does he do? He commends him. And so as Jesus is talking to his disciples, I think the disciples got that confusing look like, what? What did you just say? Because it did not, did not make sense. And that ends the parable in the middle of verse 8. And then we pick it up. And I feel like this is almost Jesus laughing. So get this picture. And almost smiling as he says the second half of verse 8. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people uh, in the light, of the light. By the way, one good way to take scripture and help it come alive to you and, and things that are confusing and aspects that are confusing, read it with a different tone. Put your pauses in different places. If it's confusing, just keep working through it. Read it with different inflections. And so when we look at that second half of verse 8, is Jesus smiling? I think it's kind of beautiful. He's laughing. He's like, I just dropped a bomb on you for the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. And why does he say it this way? The dishonest manager had faced reality. He refused to live with his head in the sand. And he, if he didn't do something fast, he was going to be out on the street. He's going to be without a job. So what does he do here? He uses all of his intelligence, all of his wit, all of his energy to ensure that he would have earthly comfort. Yet in contrast, the people of the light stand on the edge of eternity. People of the light, Christians, Christ followers, stand on the edge of eternity, but lack vision and foresight and strength and the will to do anything about it. 
especially in their relationships with others. If, if only Christians, if only we would give as much attention to the things that concern eternity as do the, the worldly people and their business and their hobbies and their passions. If we would be as spiritually shrewd as the corrupt manager was in his temporal pursuits, it would change the kingdom. We, as Christians, have all the answers. We have the hope. We have scripture. And yet, sometimes we don't even use what we have for eternal things. I would, all, I would go as far as to say, most of the times when I use things, it's not with eternal perspective. It's for temporary stuff. We live in a temporary world, and we're called as Christians, as followers of Christ, to use everything that we have for eternal purposes. And so this boss looks at this manager and he commends him. Why? Because he was fighting for what he believed in. He was fighting. He was using everything that he had. And, and the parable goes on right here and it ends and he says this. It says, Christians, why aren't we as shrewd with spiritual things? Everything that God has given us, we need to be running after the things that God is running after. Then we get to verse 9. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself, so that when it's gone, you will be welcomed into into eternal dwellings. Anyone want to talk about verse (laughs) 9? Anyone at all want to talk about verse 9? I got a lot of notes, but I'm hoping someone else will talk. No? Kyle? House church. How about we do that in house church? This week, house church conversation should be really good. Our wealth is to be used for the, for the sake of the gospel. And so here we have the parable. Then we have the second half of verse 8. And I think it's Jesus kind of setting the stage to teach us three things. Three things. And I think this is the first lesson in these 15 verses that Jesus is teaching us. He's saying our wealth is to be used for the sake of the gospel, period. Martin Luther, um, father, one of the fathers of the faith, writes and, and he talks about Christians and he says this, our mindset as Christians should be this, as guests in a hotel room, as people that are traveling through, as guests in someone's house. You, know, you don't show up as a guest in someone's house and begin to put you know, all the shampoo in your pockets to take home as yours. Well, maybe you do, you thief, but I do that in hotels, by the way. That was a bad illustration. I do. I, I, I have a collection of shampoos, man. It's awesome. But we don't show up in people's houses and assume all these things, this bed that I'm on is mine. No, we know that we are guests and we are passing through. And Jesus is saying here in our first lesson in verse 9 that our wealth is to be used for the sake of the gospel. Everything that we are is a gift from God. That is good news. That is is the gospel. There's nothing that we've done that deserves any good. God, in his love, in his graciousness, says, oh yeah, here's life. Oh yeah, here's forgiveness. Oh yeah, here's my love. And we see in the passages before, the last couple weeks, we see the heart of God. We see God chasing after us. We see God loving us, even when we don't deserve it. We see God leaving the 99 and coming to get us. We see the heart of God. And when we put ourselves in line with God, 
and we begin to realize who he is, we realize that everything that we are and everything that we have should ask us and beg the question to the world around us, how does this bring glory to God? And how does this speak into the eternal things? Okay. I told you the tension or the, the, the thrust of this entire passage was that we, I'm looking at my notes here so I get it right, that, that our occasion to begin telling others as followers, as parables, specific lessons, that we and our attitude and everything that we have should be used for God. And I think that's the thrust of this passage. This is a spot right here in this verse where a lot of commentaries go like this. And a lot of people begin to think in different ways. And one beautiful way, and I won't say it's wrong, I'm going to go a different way. But one beautiful way that, that, that I have seen this dissected this week is that grace enters into the picture and the rest of the story is about grace. The rest of the story and the beginning of the story all the way to the end is about this man. And he tried everything he could. He was dishonest. He did whatever he could. He used all his wealth. And at the end of it, it all faded away and there was nothing there. And God said, you still don't deserve anything and I'm still giving you this grace. And it's an ultimate act of love. I think it's, I think it's a great truth. I'm not sure that this is exactly the, the passage that we would highlight that in. And so I want to go a little different a little different on this one, okay? So in verse 9, let me read it again. I will tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it's gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Uh, the lesson here is our wealth is to be used for the sake of the gospel. Uh, many scholars here think that God is referring to himself because Jewish literature often refers to God in the, in, as divine in the plural, as in they, God, the Trinity, the plural. Others think that this is um, referring to using everything that you have so that when you get to heaven, and I like this picture, use everything that you have so when you get to heaven, you're going to be greeted by God when we get to eternity. You're going to be greeted by God. You're also going to be greeted by a host of people that came to know God through the way that you used your things, through the way that you used your talents, through the way that you used your wealth, the way that you used whatever you had, your possessions. I look at that, and maybe because I'm artistic and I love music, I don't know. I look at that, and it brings tears to my eyes. To think that one day we'll stand before God, and, and he will say, well done, faithful servant, well done. And then we're locking eyes with him. And then we look kind of behind him and we see a, a, a host of people, a, a line of people that are there. And they're going to say, thank you for investing in my life. Thank you for using that possession. Thank you for showing me eternal things. You impacted and God used you to impact my life. I look at that and I say, thank you, God. I hope that's the case. As we look at this parable, this first lesson, our wealth is to be used for the sake of the gospel. What is, what is um, unscapable, inescapably clear here is that our wealth and our possessions are to be used to win eternal friends. This is the proper use of what we have. Romans 1.16. Let's zoom out for a second. Romans, Romans 1.16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. 
Paul in Romans 1.16 is, is saying that anything and everything is about the gospel. And I want to give my money, my time, my resources, everything to be shrewd, to run after, to be wise about the gospel. I want to use everything to further the eternal kingdom of God so that lives will be changed. The only wealth that's going to endure is that which has been invested into others for the sake of the gospel. I'm going to say that again. The only wealth that is going to endure is that which has been invested in others for the sake of the gospel. So, is, is our use of money bringing us closer to God? And I just want to ask that question. I have some money, do you? I'd like more. You can probably think of an Adam Sandler quote right here. I've got some money in a jar. <laughs> Never mind, bad. You probably have some money. You do. You got here. You're clothed. Welcome. So the question is, is how we use our money bringing us closer to God? Have we used our wealth and possessions to gain eternal friends? And that's not saying here on earth. That's saying, are we using everything that we have? So one day when we stand up and we're like looking in heaven, we're like, yes, that was a good use of what God has given us. I have bills just like you do. I have a family. I think about retirement. I'm not really doing anything about it, but I think about it. I have girls that are in college. Um, I have very expensive health insurance that maybe I should cancel. (laughs) I have a lot of things just like you do. The first thing that we do is give to eternal things with our money. And that should be the question for everything that we have. Every resource that God has given us is what are we doing? Is by paying this cell phone bill, is that furthering the the kingdom of God? Possibly, and I hope so. (laughs) I call a lot of you and I text a lot of you so I can actually justify that. You know, I'm like, yeah, I can have a cell phone. You know, is pay-per-view fight nights, is that furthering the kingdom of God? For sure. (laughs) I I don't know. The question is, is everything that we have, are we using it to further the kingdom of God? Here at Church Project, we want to be simple in the way that we run our finances. Jared and and Jeremy are doing an incredible job as to making sure we're crossing our T's and dotting our I's. We don't want money to come in and go out that's just just useless. We want to make sure that every penny is being used for eternal stuff. And sure, we have bills, church project, just like us, our families, us, just like we have bills. And we live in an earth, and we have those things, and we have to live, and that's fine. God's not saying don't have any pleasure or any joy. He's not saying that. He's saying be very wise with what you have. A church project, what we want to do is we want to get to the point where we are literally living on half, we're surviving on half of what's coming in, and we are giving away half to fund other things, eternal causes in Haiti and local and whatever it may be. Like, we want to be very wise with what God has given us. The question is this, for you and for our church, Master, are you pleased with how I've used this money? Are you pleased with how I've used this money? Then we get to lesson two in verse 10 through 12. Let me read lesson two in verses 10 through 12. 
Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? In verse 12, Jesus teaches us that we must be trustworthy with our money. And that's the second lesson that Jesus is going through. We must be trustworthy with our money. Verse 10 through 12, they're they're a unit, and Jesus is talking about money. How often do you hear money talked about in church? Well, some of you, you've, you've seen it used in bad ways in church. I don't talk about money much in church. I don't like it. It's uncomfortable to do so. But we cannot deny that verses 10 through 12, Jesus is talking about money. Verse 11 means that if you have not been faithful with your money, your worldly possessions, your worldly wealth, God will not trust you with true spiritual riches. Examples, the care of souls, missions, evangelism, the oversight of his church, the stuff that's going to last when this world disappears. Jesus is clear in these verses He's saying, you must be trustworthy with your money. And we must be trusted with the money and the possessions that God has given us if he's going to trust us with spiritual riches. Jesus Jesus says it again later on in these verses right here and says it with a different twist. And he says, and if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own in verse 12? If you have not been trustworthy with the material possessions God has given you to manage, how can he give you and I eternal possessions of our own? We are merely stewards of the material wealth. God is the owner. So as we look through 10 through 12, Jesus teaches us that we must be trustworthy with the money that God has given us. Then we get to verse 13. Isn't this fun? We get to verse 13, and the third lesson pops up. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. The third lesson is this. It is totally impossible to serve both God and money. Mammoth. It cannot be done. We, as Christians, are the ones who feel the tension of this because duty as, as Christians, pulls us one way in one direction, and the pressure of our daily life pulls us in another direction. Let's jump out in, at, of this again, and I want to read Colossians 3.5. Colossians 3.5 says this, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. It's saying we live a different life. We're called to live in the temporal, but we're called to invest in the eternal. And that's a calling that only Christians have. We live in a material world which requires attention. <clears throat> Matthew six twenty one says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Church, where's your treasure? As I was reading this, um, it comes on, on, on a, 
the eve of, I'll say the eve of, but it's been weeks building for our family. It comes on the eve of us looking at our budget, us, last month, and going, okay, we're eating out way too much. Any of you do that? I'm sorry, maybe we're the only ones that eat out. You know, we could justify it. We're about to kill each other because we're so hangry, hungry, angry that, man, it's not going to be good and we don't have food at home, so let's go to Chick-fil-A. We could justify it, and I'm not saying that going to Chick-fil-A is wrong. In fact, it may be the closest thing to heaven in Greeley. So, but I was convicted, and we were convicted, and we threw out a challenge. Never good throwing out a challenge, by the way, and it was just, let's go the whole month without eating out. Well, we didn't, but we did a lot better because we were intentional about that, and God was prodding in our heart even last month as a family, hey, Tighten up ship a little bit. Like, you're not over the top, but yeah, you're kind of over the top. You're not using your possessions as wisely as you can. You're not being as shrewd as you can, Haven's family. Like, tighten the ship up a little bit. And it's funny that we come across this right here. And as Americans, we as a general person, as the church, are often failures at this. And we know it because the way we talk about these things with our spouses and our friends. How how much of your conversation is geared around money? Bills, stuff, things, with your spouses and your friends. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What usually characterizes your husband and wife talks, it's our houses, our cars, our shopping, whatever it may be. Are we really being shrewd with what God has has asked us to be shrewd with? Are we really thinking about eternal things? I can say, as the Church of America, we used to be the nation that sent out the most missionaries, and I gotta say we're not anymore. We used to be the nation that would give more than any other nation to eternal things. I've got to say we're not anymore. In fact, other nations are sending missionaries to America. Interesting. Until, like myself, I sat with people in Haiti who had nothing. And their spiritual relationship with God trumped mine ten over. It's not about stuff. It's about how we use our stuff, church. And as the American church, we've been given a lot. If I can sit down and feel a little bad about going out to eat too many times, I am a spoiled brat. And I better be so good with that money that God has given me. This isn't a harp on, by the way. This isn't a slap in the face. This is an awesome honor. This is so cool to know that we don't deserve the shirts on our back. God has given it to us. How can we use everything for his purpose? To show others, to tell others about the love of God. I've met Mexicans and Haitians who have nothing. They have no platform. They have no internet. They have no finances. And they have a love with God that's just so deep. Our giving must be matched 
by the sharing of all we have for the well-being and the refreshment of God's people and the proclamation of the gospel. Everything should go to proclaim who God is. Let's get to verse 14 and 15 so we can wrap this up. Verses 14 and 15, notice he's not talking to disciples anymore. He switches over to the Pharisees. The Pharisees who loved money heard all of this and were sneering at Jesus. He said to them, you are the ones who just justify yourselves in the eyes of others, but God knows your hearts. <coughs> what people highly value is detestable in God's sight. In verse 14 and 15, we've already been given the parable. Jesus has already kind of smiled at us and looked at us. He's given us the lessons in the verse 14 and 15. He said, if you don't like to talk about, about money, church, it's probably because you love it too much. If you like to sneer at Jesus when this topic comes up, it's probably because you love it too much. The Pharisees are justifying um, themselves in the eyes of men. Everyone else is doing it. Everyone else has this. They have this update. They're justifying it. God knows their hearts. He knows our hearts. And so I want to ask us this. How is our heart on this topic of money? How is our heart on this topic? How am I doing with this whole money thing? Mark Driscoll um, is, a, is a very good pastor. And you can listen to his stuff on, online. And one of the things that he says, which I think is, is brilliant, we... When we begin to talk about money, the church usually falls into a couple categories. One is prosperity gospel, like God is a Santa Claus and, you know, he's going to give us more and more. Another theology is the poverty gospel, where you just, if you love God, then you got to go suffer. I mean, you got to live in the wilderness and have nothing, right? That's usually the camps that people fall in in church when we talk about money. Mark Driscoll says this, no, it's about a generosity theology. And I love that. It's not about prosperity theology. It's not about poverty gospel but, or theology, but it is about a generosity theology, which begs the question, are you being generous with everything that God has given you? Are you open to talking about money? Or do you sneer at Jesus? Do you sneer at church when this topic comes up? And I ask this, will you sit down with your budget and say, how am I doing here? Am I using uh, this, everything that God's given me for eternal things, for the gospel? I want to say a couple things in closing. Jesus was hanging on the, on the cross. A rich man took him down and bought a tomb for him. Rich women followed Jesus and supported his ministry. In a very real way, Our church is surviving because of the generosity of people using the resources God has given them for eternal purposes. Our church is growing, and we tithe. I don't know how much, but we tithe. If you're not, you should be. If you're not tithing, go somewhere that you believe in enough where you can tithe. But even with all of our tithe combined, We only are about 30% sustained as a church. That means 70% of what keeps our lights on and keeps us going 
is coming from the generosity of people who have extended wealth in places like Houston and Oklahoma and other parts of Colorado that send checks to us every week to keep us going. And so to them, because they listen to our podcast, to them I want to say thank you. Thank you for having an eternal perspective with your finances. And for us as church, may we never, ever lose that. May everything that we have be used for eternal purposes. Because we live in a temporary world, but we should invest in an eternal world. God is the owner. I am the manager. Can he count on me to manage the money for eternal impact? Maybe my relationship with Jesus is so shallow because my relationship with money is so deep. And please put in your mind the image of what it would look like to stand before God, Him to say, well done, in all aspects of your, of your, of your life, well done. And oh yeah, here's the people that you were able to impact with the resources that I gave you. Let me throw out a couple numbers just to get us thinking on this and the depth of, of this. Let's just say in this room, we are uh, going to have a medium income of $50,000. Just say that. Some of you are like, I wish. Some of you are like, yeah, I remember when I made that a long time ago. I know a lot of wealthy people that use that money wise. I know a lot of people that don't use their money wise as well. But let's say we are all making $50,000 right now. Well, how much do we make in 20 years, 40 years? We'll see a million, two million come through our hands. That's a lot. That's just money. How will we use that for eternal purposes? And oh yeah, there's other things besides money. Our spiritual giftings, who we are. Everything that we have is like sitting in that hotel room and we show up and we get to use it. Let's use it for the eternal purposes to show people the love, the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's beautiful. I challenge you to lose sleep and to dig into this. It's, it's exciting. It's hard. It's exciting. I probably erred on a lot of ways, but I pray the Spirit showed us what we needed to learn today. And by the way, next week is even harder. A lot of commentaries actually skip next week's passage. And I think we're going to see some pretty cool things next week as well. So let me pray for us. Is that, is that, is that okay? Um, God, I'm incapable, and it's obvious I'm incapable of articulating this gospel message fully. And especially this passage today. God, I pray that your spirit, like Jeremy prayed, has been in this room prodding us and teaching us. I pray that each and every one of us, we are taking home a piece of who you are and we're aligning our lives with that. God, that's all I can offer. We count on you for the rest. I pray that we are a people that are digging into scripture and finding your thrust of what you're saying and aligning our lives with that. God, I pray that we are a people that use everything that you've given us, you've put on loan to us to further the gospel message. 
I pray that we are a people, especially in Greeley, Colorado, that we weigh heavily the resources, the money that you've given us. And we ask, how is this furthering the eternity of lives of people around us? And God, your grace for us is beautiful. I pray that if there's anyone in this room today that doesn't know your love, I pray that you show it to them today. None of us deserve your love, God, but you've given that to us. So I pray that we can surrender our lives to you today. Thank you for this message, and it's in your name we pray. Amen.